Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Now let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Hi, everyone. David Fortney. Welcome to another edition of the DC Insider podcast, What Employers Need to Know. Joining me again, I've got both Nita and Bert. Nita, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's freezing here, but other than that, I'm fine. I'm hanging in Florida, so uh, I just feel the love, okay? Bert, what's going on with you today? I'm just slogging through the rain and the snow in D.C., but we're doing fine. <laughs> Super. All right. Well, it's not just stormy weather outside. We Some of the issues that we've been looking at, particularly for the federal agencies, are really, I think, starting to take shape. So what I'd like to do is spend a little bit of time for our audience and start to unpack what the agencies are doing because that's becoming, I kind of view it as they're coming out of the fog bank. It's now becoming increasingly clear what we can expect from the Biden agencies. Notwithstanding, this is actually beginning of year two, and some would say there's been an undue delay. We'll write that off to COVID because most of us did have some delay. But speaking of that, in terms of potential delay and COVID-related part, we know the Supreme Court's decided what's going on, but where are we in terms well, of fallout from yeah. the court? We may be actually entering the last lap of the uh, judicial phase of the vaccine mandates. The Supreme Court rather emphatically stopped, for all intents and purposes, the OSHA ETS, the OSHA Emergency Temporary Standard. On the other hand, and the same day, it approved a vaccine mandate for uh, what they call CMS, that is to say, healthcare providers who receive Medicare and Medicaid services. And out there kind of uh, in limbo, but on very thin ice is the federal contractor mandate. I think uh, the lower courts who are going to hear the case are going to follow the path set forward by the Supreme Court, which is to say the president did not have the right under the procurement statute to issue the vaccine mandate. And that means employers are essentially on their own, just This morning, uh, several major companies like Starbucks withdrew their vaccine mandates. All state and local laws have to be observed, including those that have mandates and those that have banned mandates. And it's a continuation of a patchwork response to a pandemic, which is probably one of the reasons the pandemic continues to rage as it does in the United States. Nita? What's interesting is I just saw yesterday that the state attorney generals who filed lawsuits against OSHA for the ETS are now demanding that OSHA withdraw after the Supreme Court decision, just withdraw the ETS. David, I don't know whether that's something they're likely to do. Well, you know, uh, we saw that they decided to discontinue the prior ETS on healthcare. So what they do with this one or whether they go forward, because the Supreme Court certainly provided a roadmap as to what OSHA could do that would pass muster with this Supreme Court. For example, specific regulatory action focused on industries. And we know what the hot list is for industries because that's part of the OSHA National Emphasis Program uh, that was announced last spring. So I think that in the meantime, in the next week, two weeks, I anticipate, I mean, the rulemaking record for what was going to be DTS literally closed on the 19th of January. OSHA has over 120,000 comments that were filed. 
dealing with vaccination and masking. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there, but that's OSHA. And what we should note is even while they're sorting out whether they'll go forward with the new reg, they've started enforcement under the general duty clause and the national emphasis program. So employers in this patchwork don't lose sight of OSHA. Well, that's kind of number one on their hit list, along with some other rulemaking. But, you know, in the bigger picture with some of these other agencies, this week was a bad week for the Biden administration on the Hill. Congress has completely stalled out. The Voting Rights Act, the change in the filibuster rule, that's all gone down. The single most uh, influential individual in Washington at this point, vis-a-vis the Democrats' agenda, is not President Biden, it's Joe Manchin. And Senator Manchin has dictated what the terms will be on Build Back Better, very, very reduced. And as that gets sorted on what will go forward or not, the agencies are continuing to go forward with the resources and the priorities that they have. And obviously that very pro-worker agenda continues to dominate, you know, irrespective of what Congress does, the agencies are gonna move forward. And I think that the labor board continues to be kind of the the leader of the band, don't you, Bert? Oh, absolutely. Quite surprisingly, the NLRB seems to be at the center of many of these coordinated efforts between the agencies. It seems to be the best organized of all of the agencies, the most focused of all the enforcement agencies. And probably Exhibit A is a recent memorandum of understanding between the NLRB and the Wage and Hour Division of the Department of Labor that's going to focus on misclassification among historically, get this word, fissured industries, that is the gig economy, that is the franchise model. These are targets of David Weil, the now nominee, the past and current nominee for director of Wage and Hour. His influence seems to be everywhere. But parts of this MOU are really critical. The first one is they're going to hold joint investigations so that they're going to combine forces They're going to share information, including confidential information, including privileged information, and they're going to establish a formal referral service so that if you complain to one agency, there's going to be an actual process where complainants are going to be directed to another agency, you know, between the NLRB and Wage and Hour, so that if you fail in one, you may get a second one in the other, so that they're actually encouraging dual filings. That's on the the kind of investigatory side. The other side is a coordinated effort of NLRB and Wage and Hour to re-examine, revise the joint employer and independent contractor regulations. Massively important. I'll talk a little bit more in a sec. But also on its own and outside of the regulatory process, the NLRB is inviting briefs from the public on a case that they are soon to adjudicate. It's called the Atlantic Opera, an odd situation for it, but it's going to re-examine the regulations on the definition of who's an employee and who's an employer. And the current law essentially says gig workers aren't employees for purposes of union organization and unfair labor practices. If that goes forward, and we have every reason to believe it will, this will have a massive impact on the way businesses are organized who gets overtime, who can organize a union, how you schedule workers, who gets benefits, who's protected by the civil rights laws. So keep your eye on that. That's going to be very critically important. Yeah. And I think they are going to be kind of the most dominant agency for a while, notwithstanding they're one of the smaller agencies. That's what's kind of ironic to me. But let's talk a little bit about EEOC and some of those other agencies that are critically important, Nita. Well, you know, I'm going to 
go to that in just one second. But, you know, listening to Burke talk, guys, it made me think about, you know, how plaintiff's lawyers, someone comes to you with a discrimination complaint, and then they ask you about wage and hour. And often they may not have a discrimination claim, but they may have a wage and hour. And so in a way, this is the agencies are starting to do what plaintiff's lawyers do. And a number of these individuals they're bringing in are plaintiff's lawyers. So that's kind of their modus operandi. So our agencies are now modeled on a plaintiff's uh, lawyer mentality. All right. Well, there we go. That could be right. Well, it's interesting to to think about. (laughs) Back to the future. Uh, To some extent, the Obama administration did that. And so turning to EEOC and OFCCP, EEOC and OFCCP, two agencies that are not normally known to work together, in fact, for years or didn't really like each other very much, are now working very closely together. And, you know, it's similar to what Bert was talking about, the NLRB and wage and hour of of DOL. Charlotte Burroughs, the now chair of the EEOC, was the vice chair when Jenny Yang was the chair of EEOC. Jenny is now the director of OFCCP. And they kicked off a new initiative called the Hire Initiative, It's a joint hiring initiative to reimagine equity or hire, which is the name of it. And there are a couple of interesting things in the press release that they put out saying that what they're doing is convening meetings, and they had one already, uh, to talk about organizational policies and practices to reimagine equity and expand opportunity in hiring. They want to identify strategies to remove unnecessary barriers, one in particular requiring degrees where one's not needed, having items that you need to check off to get hired that aren't part of the job, and those kinds of things. Also, promote equity in the use of tech-based hiring systems. This is AI. They have not mentioned that specifically yet, but we know that that is a top priority for Jenny Yang and for EEOC. So they have had one kickoff meeting. It looks like this is a ongoing process. How that is going to roll out with, obviously, EEOC is a charge-oriented business. One of the commissioners could do a charge to investigate. OFCCP could use this as a way to, A, get best practices, but also to challenge contractors. So it will be interesting to see very broad data sharing through their MOU And we know that the already collected component to pay data is going to go over to OFCCP and be used. Nita, just something, you know, you talk about this higher initiative. I just find it somewhat ironic. We're in the middle of the great resignation. Everyone's leaving their jobs. Employers are desperately trying to hire. And the agency's response is we're going to turn up the dial. We're going to focus on potential enforcement actions relating to hiring. To me, it just, I don't know if it promotes hiring or not. They have a legitimate concern to ensure that hiring is done in a non-discriminatory way. And maybe, you know, it could be of use to identify best practices. But there's also an enforcement component to this trolling along in there, including the use of AI and validation and a whole host of things that potentially could disrupt and upset much of the broad-based hiring that employers are dealing with today. You know, David, I think that's not only right, but I'm also always leery when I get a statement such as the uh, agencies have issued, which sounds like you're reading a sociology textbook with all of these noun clusters, and you just have to wonder how they're going to do all of this. And let me tell you, it's a long list with cash strap, the agencies are, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but 
this seems kind of oddly ambitious and I'm not sure, you know, full of good intention, like much of the Biden agenda, but not much follow through. More bully pulpit at this point. One last statement before we go on. One last point they made, though, in their rollout was that was how women were impacted by the pandemic, how many women left the workforce and also the impact on black and brown. They specifically said black and brown individuals as part of the pandemic. So that's how they see it anyway. Right. All right. Well, one other example of this new flavor of the day, which we've seen now over the last couple of months, which is multiple agencies pulling in the same harness and trying to get all these agencies directed. Perhaps the largest one, kind of an omnibus, is a recommitment to focus on retaliation claims. And this is one that overlays, as opposed to these more narrow ones that we've just covered up to this point, the Labor Department. So that includes OSHA, Wage Hour, OFCCP, multiple enforcement agencies, the Labor Department, the EEOC, and the National Labor Relations Board have identified this initiative to focus on what they believe is the growth of retaliation claims. And they've created this interagency initiative to, as they describe it, raise awareness of worker retaliation issues. And the agencies are gonna build on their existing interagency relationships because they have MOUs to address these matters and allows for the exchange of information developed during audits and investigations, et cetera. And there will likely then be coordinated follow-through that's nice talk for enforcement by one or more agencies and several enforcement claims could arise by multiple agencies in one set of circumstances. So I will just add, I know from the communications I've had with some of the senior legal folks at the U.S. Department of Labor, they are very focused on this initiative and they are very committed to ensuring that there are some significant efforts, very public efforts made. David, I think one of the things that they believe, what's interesting to me, and we talked about this a little bit uh, as uh, we were preparing for this, is this particular, the Biden administration agency people are a lot nicer in they are including employers and that type of thing, which I find interesting. It doesn't mean they're going to be nicer once enforcement comes down, but they're very concerned that employees are being retaliated against and are afraid to come forward. And if employees won't come forward and go to the agencies and ask for help, most of these agencies can't do anything. And that's why I think the retaliation is such a high priority for them. Well, it is. I mean, one of the fallacies is I'm not sure most workers view the federal government as being the most effective resource in order to get their problem solved, but you know, that's fine. Well, what about some of these other areas? I mean, particularly OFCCP, Anita, you kind of monitor that pretty closely. They have a number of new significant initiatives that are rolling through. I think the biggest one we've talked about already uh, on a number of these podcasts, but it's finally coming to fruition. And that is this certification requirement that they're rolling out for all federal contractors. And oh, by the way, subcontractors as well, which is another issue. The portal for employers, federal contractors, to start registering for the, they call it the contractor portal It opens on February 1st. Interestingly, they are just announcing a webinar on February 1st to provide additional information to contractors. They have not provided very much information, except we have heard that they are going to be loading into the portal for federal contractors, those contractors' 2018 EEO-1 establishment EEO filings that they did. 
So then employers are going to have to go through and look at those. I think, David, the biggest issue for employers and federal contractors covered by this is they've been a little loose in how they talk about what is compliance. According to the OMB, you're going to be asked whether or not you're basically compliant with Part 60. That's all of the federal regulations covering federal contractors who are under OFCCP. And sometimes they talk about whether you have AAPs at all your establishments or whether you have affirmative action programs at all your establishments. I don't know, until we get a little more data, I'm not sure which of those they're telling people we're going to do. Well, I think they've been a little sloppy by using the acronym AAP or the abbreviation. But I think at the end of the day, we're going to see it's affirmative action programs, which means all of those regulations, which is approximately 60, you take a few, and it covers a wide range. One thing I just would note uh, in response to what many of our clients have sought uh, is that we have, in fact, developed a very effective tool that allows federal contractors to assess whether they are legally compliant. We call it legal check for this verification that's required. And it enables uh, federal contractors under with confidence to certify uh, because they are certifying to the federal government uh, that they're in compliance. And they're certifying under penalty of perjury, which kind of raises the ante. It sure does. It sure does, Bert. Well, so OFCCP, they're going to be active in the next you know, couple of weeks, I think, on this. We're going to, we're going to see more about it. And as this starts to more details come out, uh, we'll likely do a specific podcast to really help unpack that specifically for our federal contractor friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the points, Bert, you alluded to this earlier, was... Yeah. You know, the agency's going forward, and, but their resources, well, what's going on? Because this gets tied back to that dysfunctional hill piece that I oh, noted man. at the top. We are once again like uh, the little train that couldn't, chuffing up the hill to another budget crisis. We are now acting under what is called a continuing resolution. There has not been a budget passed. The resolution keeps funding at prior levels. The resolution ends on February 18th. That's just a month away. And without a budget, if there's a new CR, what that means is for yet again, for another fiscal year, there will be no additional funds across the board, except there is a special, obviously there was a special bill for defense, but absent defense, there will be no additional funds for any of the enforcement agencies. The House version of the budget included something like over $2 billion for DOL, for NLRB, for EEOC, because these agencies have been depleted over the past four or five years, frankly, even over the last decade. And that means they're going to be cash strapped. And let's not kid ourselves. If the Biden agenda is going to be fueled by the efforts of the agencies without these funds, that's just going to be another effort that's going to probably be not as energetic as the president hoped. But we have to notice that just because agencies aren't funded doesn't mean they're going to stop work. And the other thing, you know, we represent the regulated community and none of us are looking for more enforcement. But the thing that happens when you have these weakened agencies and these less, I don't know, less well staffed, it's not just less enforcement, which is not so bad, but it's worse enforcement which really penalizes the compliant businesses and contractors across the board, and that is 99% of all of them. 
So the big issue is, will there be a budget? Will Build Back Better be revamped? But as it currently states, we're heading towards another continuing resolution all the way to September. Just to give you an idea of what we're talking about, OFCCP would have $105 million this fiscal year if there's a continuing resolution, which basically just continues the budget from last year. That would be, Build Back Better would have given them $201 million, a 100% increase. And it's similar for all the other enforcement agencies who lost a lot of people and resources over the past four years in particular. So, I mean, regardless of whether they have more boots on the ground and can do more effective enforcement, what is clear is because the agencies, of course, don't know whether they end up with simply a continuing resolution that is maintaining the status quo or having a whole bunch of new resources, which, you know, would be pennies from heaven, be wonderful from their perspective. The initiatives that we've just covered and outlined are still going to be advanced, period. And there's full speed ahead. And I think that that is just kind of the realities that that we're dealing with at this point. I mean, just a side note, if anyone ran their personal household or their business the way the federal government runs, we'd all be bankrupt. I mean, it's just insane. But (laughs) be that as it may. (laughs) But we can't print dollars, David. We can't print dollars. (laughs) There's a proposal, Bert. Maybe we can get some popular agreement that we should be allowed to do that. But I think we have inflation now. How would that work? (laughs) But... Well, look, we've uh, pretty well run close on time. Let me just ask each of you to give us some quick takeaways. Bert, I'm going to ask you to kick that off. Quick takeaway. I think uh, the most important one and the one that may have the biggest impact is this continuing effort to revise the joint employer and independent contractor regulations and laws, because that'll have a gigantic impact on the entire community. We're not just talking Uber and McDonald's. We're talking everybody. Nita. I think the relationship between OFCCP and EEOC is a really important one for employers to watch. There's going to be much more focus on discrimination, retaliation, and I think employers need to keep a close eye on what they're doing. I think this coordination, I think there's going to be more, not less of it coming. I think the initiatives that we've described so far are just the beginning, and I'm looking forward to more detailed coordination and efforts addressing artificial intelligence and that higher initiative that Nita walked us through, that's the opening of the door, but I think there's gonna be a lot more that flows through by those agencies and others there. All right, well, we have uh, run out of time. Another terrific discussion. Thank you both, Nita and Bert. I really enjoyed Pleasure. it as Thank usual. you. Yeah, and we really appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. Also wanna share with you, we have a series of webinars coming up over the first quarter where we're going to really unpack some of these specific agency developments, drill down into those, jump in and join them because we've also got some takeaways for you there and a lot of discussion by our subject matter experts. It's going to be exciting and thanks again for joining us. Thanks everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting fortneyscott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.